0: Cybercriminals are opportunistically targeting industries that continue to operate full-tilt during the coronavirus shutdowns, and their attacks have grown more sophisticated. Given this shifting landscape, taking the appropriate countermeasures becomes paramount. Mimecast email security 3.0 helps you evolve from a perimeter-based security strategy to one that is comprehensive and pervasive with cyber resiliency in mind. From the company that stops at nothing to block cyber threats, Mimecast is offering a fully featured 90-day web security service. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Mimecast to learn more. Data protection is a top priority with today's work-from-home workforce. However, current data loss prevention tools inadequately protect data in cloud or SaaS offerings from insider threats. Secure Circle automatically protects data as it leaves SaaS services such as GitHub, AWS, and Salesforce. The protection is transparent to users and works with any application to persistently protect data, even source code. Secure your data with Secure Circle's Zero Trust Data Protection. Begin your 30-day free trial by visiting securityweekly.com forward secure circle. You want to get the right things done for your security program. Sounds simple, but what are the right things for you? What does done mean? And how are you going to get there? Rapid7 realizes more than anyone how hard this can be. While Rapid7's Insight platform offers you industry-leading vulnerability management and detection and response solutions, their focus is on understanding where you are so that they can help you get where you're going. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Rapid7 to get started welcome back everyone to enterprise security weekly do you always end up missing our live streams you want to miss our live streams our live streams are a lot of fun do you need somewhere to flag security weekly podcast that you want to listen to subscribe to your favorite podcast catcher our youtube channel and sign up for our mailing list join our discord server and all things security weekly by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe This segment is sponsored by GIGAMON. To learn more, please visit securityweekly.com forward slash GIGAMON. Joining us today from GIGAMON is Director of Industry Solutions, Martin Crew, to discuss visibility being critical in uncertain times. Martin, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks very much. Nice to be here. Appreciate the time. Yes, nice to have you. It's interesting, we've been talking about how we'll go back to work moving away from 2020 which a lot of people myself included, are excited i don't think 2021 is going to magically fix all of our problems uh however hopefully we're coming into being more normal at at some point next year but what that means for people working today is we've covered so many articles this year about who's going to work from home how are they going to work from home to me it falls in three buckets people are going to stay working from home People that fall in the middle that may go into the office every once in a while or maybe a shared office space and have that collaboration and those folks that'll go back into the office because, I mean, let's be frank, if you're working from your kitchen table while all your children are doing the homeschooling, that is not the ideal uh, scenario or situation to be working in. So now, I believe moving into 2021, we're going to have like three different challenges that we have to provide some level of visibility and security uh, into. Martin, your, your thoughts on how we're going to deal with these issues uh, moving forward and what tools we might have to help us.
1: Yeah, so um, I think it's a the, the right question to focus on for this session. So it's a really big issue. I think one of the things we've learned uh, in 2020 is that most organizations weren't set up to deal with uncertainty, weren't, weren't set up to deal well with uh, the need to respond uh, quickly to a situation mm-hmm. that had no well, it had a beginning, it really didn't have a middle and really so far hasn't had an end. So it's been, I think, very challenging for organizations to know how to plan, to know what tools they need to provide their people with. But I think, you know, now with the the vaccines coming with models potentially from other countries that we can look at and learn from, I think we can see that, you know, over the next few months there is going to be the opportunity for people to go back to work. You know, obviously we need to acknowledge that many people never left work. I mean, many of the people on the front lines, um, whether they were restaurant workers or Mm. hospital workers or whatever, they never had these choices. So for those of us in a fortunate position that we were able to work from home and companies who could maintain their business operations in that model, we're now looking at the, the, the choices that we have. And I think what you said is exactly right. We're going to look at about a third, third, third type distribution. So there's going to be a third of folks who just want to work from home. It's been a model that's worked for them. Uh, It's something that uh, their businesses, their organizations can deal with, and that will persist. Other people need to go back to the office. I mean, many of my coworkers and I, we talk about this all the time. With the pressures of two or three people working or studying from home, um, it's often very difficult to get particularly intensive work tasks completed. So, going back to the office is definitely something organizations want to do. But then I think critically, there's going to be a third of the people who are going to migrate between the two. Some of the time, it'll make sense for them to be based at home when they've got individual projects or work to do. Uh, Some of the time, maybe they'll need to be at home for childcare reasons. Um, But a lot of the rest of the time, they'll want to be in the office to collaborate you know, as we hit the year-end, uh, we're obviously many us engaged in budgeting and planning and fairly intensive processes, trying to sort of figure out what 2021 look, looks like. And as great as many of the collaboration tools are that we've turned to in 2020, as we move uh, into these planning meetings, um, a lot of this stuff is just much better done face-to-face. So I think the pressure to return to work um, is going to be there for a significant part of the working population.
0: Matt?
2: Yeah, Martin, I think the biggest challenge I have being 100% remote in planning sessions, I miss the whiteboard, mm-hmm. right? The ability to, to be in a room with people and, and have that conversation, write it down on the board, because we're using a lot of other ways to try to recreate the whiteboard and they just don't quite work.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, so much of what we do is kind of interrupt driven. So if someone says something, other person has a thought, they want to get that thought across. Uh, And that's just really difficult to do on a Zoom meeting. Um, And obviously, if you are, if you've got multiple people wanting to get their point across, you've got contention there. So it's just a very difficult thing to do. So I think that'll be one of the interesting things is going to be
0: kind of learning the social behavior uh, when we do start going back to work. Yeah, it's yeah. it's concerning for me cuz I feel like we're going to have this pseudo controlled environment. I think we know in the home that users can be diligent about protecting their own home security and there's a bunch of known elements there. We know there's IoT devices, we can we can we know the environment. Of course when we come back to the office, we control that environment back in the office. And when we go to a hotel or travel to a conference, we typically tell our users, right, don't trust anything (laughs) when you go there. But now let's say you've got groups of people, uh, Martin and Matt, you both mentioned the whiteboard, which I think is a great point. That innovation and collaboration really needs to be in a place. What if you're meeting once a week in a shared office space and that's where you're going? Now we've got this kind of pseudo trust. I can write on this whiteboard. I can connect to the Wi-Fi. And I get a little more comfortable than I would at a hotel. And it's a very different environment from the home. How do we gain visibility into that? Do we just tell our users, look, don't trust that environment either? But that's hard because it's a place you're going to every week and you tend to develop a trust.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's very hard telling people not to trust something that they are comfortable and familiar with. You know, Whether it's their home office or whether it's working from a, a permanent office. Uh, Going going back to a permanent office or working in a, a, you know, seemingly professional and secure workspace, Mm. Um, people just forget. They just don't realize how vulnerable they are all the time. And they also don't realize that the changing nature of the threats. It's not that this is a safe environment on Monday and therefore it's going to be a safe environment on Friday. Stuff changes. Uh, as we've all seen, there's a lot of vulnerabilities that are potentially hidden in uh, the software stacks, the, app- the appliances and things that we all rely on, and they can change. Uh, you know, we're, we're all of us just an update away from being very exposed uh, in ways that we've, I think, imagined but have never really thought are going to happen to us. So I think part of this is the awareness that we are operating with a very large number of unknowns and encouraging people to stay aware of that. Don't take things for granted. Uh, Obviously, if you're in an office environment and you're behind a firewall, you've got one level of protection. But when you're working from home, as you said, with all the intelligent devices, uh, which are probably proliferating now with the holiday season, Uh, You've got a whole set of other unknowns there. And certainly when you're migrating between the two, whether you're in a coffee shop or on the road in a hotel, whatever, you do not have control of those environments. And I think to that extent, that's one of the reasons why zero trust has come so much to the fore Mm -hmm. over the last 18 months in terms of people's thinking. And really over the last eight or nine months in terms of us seeing it being implemented. So this is something that we spend a lot of time talking with our customers about, Uh, particularly in government for obvious reasons. Zero Trust has been very much at the forefront of the agendas of most of the civilian defense and IC agencies. Um, We've seen it very much at the forefront of people's thinking in uh, finance as well, Um, and increasingly in the medical area for very obvious reasons. Uh, None of us should be complacent uh, as we move forward, regardless of the work environment we find ourselves in, Matt? yeah, zero zero trust brings up some interesting
2: challenges, Martin. Right? In, in, I'm curious how GigaMon kind of approaches this because when you think about zero trust, you've you've got a network layer, you've got an identity layer, you might have some endpoint application layers, right? How do you stitch all that together? across environments that you don't control right i mean i think that's a really big challenge when it comes to zero trust in in this environment that we just described home work or somewhere in between you got to stitch all this together to make
1: sense out of it don't you
0: yeah it's not zero trust it's layered trust
1: it is layered trust i think is a very good way to think about it yeah so i i think that's a really interesting point i mean all of us uh are accustomed to the idea of control. Um, We believe that computer systems, computer networks, security systems, whatever, are based on the thought that they actually give us control. And I think to some degree, we have to let go of that thought. I mean, everything tells us that's not the case, that we never really have full control over things. We can mitigate. We can reduce risk. We can do all of the right things through best practices, through software, through hardware devices, whatever. But we are never truly in control of the environments that we're in. So our response really is that the the thing short of control is visibility, so that you can actually know where you are at any point in time. Uh, In the case of Gigamon, you can see all of the traffic on a hybrid network. It doesn't matter where it's coming from, what source it's coming from, doesn't matter what destination it's going to, doesn't matter the protocols it's using, doesn't matter the applications that it's touching, we can give you visibility into that traffic. And from providing that visibility, you know, we can empower your processes, we can empower your tools to give you the closest you can actually get to control. So that's really how we see this, how we see ourselves stitching all of this together. Uh, And if you look at a lot of the guidelines that have emerged around zero trust, they're now recognizing that this visibility before, during, and after the the implementation of a zero trust architecture is absolutely critical.
0: I think that really ties into, and I don't pretend to be an expert in this area, but I've gained some visibility, pun intended, I guess, uh, into SASE and SD WAN and how you construct that in the cloud. I think it also speaks to kind of the resurgence of the DMZ and how we think about trust in the cloud and how based on who you are, where you're coming from, what your access method is, you gain access to certain things through a secure access service edge. So it's closer to you, but that there are trust decisions being made. I would absolutely turn to Gigamon to go, in this design, I also need visibility to enforce this trust or allow this trust and and, and help uh, make decisions on who should access what? Do you find customers starting to move in this direction, Martin? And again, it's largely uncharted territory for many.
1: Um, It's uncharted territory for many in one sense, and it's back to the future in another. I mean, the Mm -hmm. idea of going back to DMZ-based architectures, I think is something that we're going to see. I think as a stopgap to try and get... uh, the visibility and control it's a good way to do it you basically put that layer between you know reality and the cyber world uh and in that area you you can um have control you can take data you can route it through specific rules you can have different levels of authorization, whatever you need before it actually touches core systems. So I think that is something that we are likely to see. Uh, We have seen it in several of our government customers. Mm -hmm. We've not seen it yet um, in commercial customers that I'm aware of, but I do think that's one potential defensive architecture that does make some sense.
0: Yeah. I like the scenario where people that are working from home, maybe they're in a different location. And we know that this is going to be the scenario where they're like, Oh, I need a computer. And this could be, you know, i you should see my dining room table when the kids are homeschooling. Like, there's laptops everywhere. And mom and dad are like, oh, wait, I need to check my email. Like, which laptop am I going to use? And when you come from an untrusted device in a lot of these uh, architectures that speak to the, you know, sassy and uh, using SD-WAN and cloud technologies, when you come from that untrusted device, You've only got access to maybe the more public resources, which kind of almost reminds me of a DMZ. Like, hey, you came from this untrusted device. I don't know if I quite, I trust you enough to give you access to this resource, but not that resource. But I also need visibility to make sure that those controls are still in place, which is why I I love Gigamon's solution and being able to help me monitor, not just from performance and network monitoring, but also security as well.
1: Yeah. So I think this is a really interesting area. So one of the things is when you're actually trying to make those decisions, there's obviously a number of different ways to do them. I mean, one is to have policy engines that say, in this circumstance, do X, Y, Z. In the other circumstance, you know, don't do it. Do something different. Um, But a lot of this stuff is so dynamic that you need to find ways to actually accommodate um, how – you can do things on the fly. Mm. So one of the things that we do with Gigamon is we're not just looking at the, the network packets. We're looking at all of the data that wraps around it. We're looking at what the users are doing. We're looking at what websites they're visiting to provide context to a particular piece of information. Because it's not just enough to look at that piece of information, You know the data on the wire. You actually have to understand a lot more about it than is actually contained in the packet or the metadata surrounding it. So finding ways to provide that context, I think, is critical to managing this dynamic environment that I think most of us are going to find ourselves in for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, because I think there's definitely ways in we, that we can use technology to go, well, that user authenticated, but they also access this other application that I own, and they authenticate to this other thing, and are using this app. Now you can start developing a profile that can feed other systems to help them make Decisions.
1: Yeah, I think that's right, and that's one of the key things is the, the feeding of other systems. I mean, there is obviously no one vendor, either a network vendor or security vendor. You know, honestly, despite what any of them would claim, who can provide the complete security environment for the type of sophisticated um, enterprises that that we serve? So it's going to be a patchwork of different tools from different vendors. Um, and one of the critical things that we do at Gigamon is we sort of understand the characteristics of everything that's on the network, how it needs to ingest data, and what type of data it needs, and only send it the data that it needs and it can process. Because one of the big problems in, the, in, in any environment in terms of securing it is a lot of the tools are just dealing with so much data that they're overloaded. They don't know what to look at. Um, many of them are being fed information they actually can't look at. So getting the right information to the right tools um, not only makes the individual tools more efficient and lets them do their job faster, more completely, it helps secure the entire environment. So, you know, Gigamon is kind of the, I don't want to say the glue, but as kind of a, a, a transport layer to make sure that everything is getting what it needs and no more than what it needs, I think is one of the keys to security as we move forward.
0: I used to feel like it was a lot more simple when we think about this problem, right? It was. Right? When I worked at the university, we had a large population of untrusted users. And I mean, and I say untrusted because they were students. And the reason they were untrusted because they would bring their own machines that we had no control over and actually no visibility onto the actual machine of what it was. And they would bring those on the network. We can apply a trust level and a monitoring strategy to that because... Even though there was a large population of untrusted users with untrusted devices, it was still a known fact that when they were going to come on campus, that the the certain level of trust that we had for them and what they needed to access, right? We knew they they needed access to the internet. We knew that, Allowing the internet to access them didn't do anyone any favors so that that was really bad. And we knew they needed access to resources on campus. And those were all points we could we could monitor and, and draw some lines in the sand, have some good visibility and, and control over. Now we fast forward to today, we talked about the three different ways people are going to work. We've got all kinds of different levels of trust, levels of trusted and untrusted users, not just the user, but the device combined together, give us a level of trust. And how do we, how do we deal with that?
1: Yeah. So I think um, it's a particular problem in the education environment that you mentioned, uh, you know, where you know what devices students have got and, you know, the patterns of behavior, the type of applications that either they need to access or that they want to access. You can put some rules in place around that. But, you know, so many devices that people carry nowadays are not registered to the network, but are still potential points of vulnerability for the network. So that's Mm -hmm. an issue. There's another interesting thing that we see with universities, and I don't know whether you saw it um, in, in your previous role, is many of the researchers, many of the academics have really pushed back in the past on security. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the ethos has been, hey, we're a sharing open culture. If you want effective research, we've got to be able to share our findings with people. And many times we've seen a lot of uh, these folks really push back on the idea of yeah, we understand the sharing ethos, but to be secure, for us to protect our IP, for us to protect network from you know potential bad actors, many of whom are now actively targeting, well, many of whom have always been actively targeting universities, you have to accept these disciplines. Was that a situation that you had to
0: deal with? Oh, absolutely. And, and one of the interesting things, and I think it's a testament to Gigamon, is the researchers not only had the data security and regular security problems but they also had this very, at the time, unique infrastructure where they were sending massive amounts of traffic. I mean, well, we need to monitor that. They're like, yeah. So we send about 30 to 40 gigs a day, and this was 20 years ago, <laughs> And it's like, oh. And then you had the internet too, right? Which was a much, back then, I'm not sure what it looks like today. I'm sure they were always pushing the envelope to be a lot faster to allow researchers to collaborate more quickly and transfer huge data sets, terabytes of data they basically right. they have their own internet, and and how do you provide? I, I remember the university all the the time, Martin. Vendors would come in. Oh, we've got the solution for you, and you put it in the rack, and like literally smoke would come out of it. I'm like, yeah, n- next. <laughs> right? And that's certainly a problem that, that Gigamon is uh, is able to handle, which is probably why you've got uh, some good traction in universities doing that. Yeah, I think so.
1: And it's mm-hmm. not just the volume of these huge files; it's also the nature of them. It's you know these are image files and mm-hmm. things. Often they're very complex, research-based files, um, and often you know a lot of tools cannot get the visibility into those so Mm -hmm. having a tool like gigamon that helps you do that is very important absolutely
2: one of the other areas i'm curious on is is we think about um stay at home remote work and 5g coming right in in potentially connecting more of these remote locations. Does that change the way we have to think about network visibility? Can we get that same level of visibility on those connections as well as a way to really, again, back to that stitching all this data together? What does 5G do or not do here to make things more complex for us in the future?
1: I'm not sure that it does actually make things more complex. I mean, we we are already working with a number of the major carriers on their 5G rollouts. Um, we've not seen any particular problems around it. I mean, for sure, you're going to be dealing with more data from more sources. So there's bound to be more vulnerabilities. There are bound to be people that are looking to exploit those um, as, as they become aware of them. But to this point, we really haven't seen anything. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that we have seen is that the rollout of 5G is much harder than many organizations expected, and therefore it's been slower than many organizations may anticipated. But in terms of any purely technical problems, there's, there's nothing we've seen that um, concerns us
2: which means I can still get all my great visibility and in analytics, even though I might have a whole new way that that transport layer is going to come
0: to us.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that's the critical thing that we're focused on. Um, and, you know, I don't think 5G is going to significantly change that. Uh, you know, really the big change that we have seen over the last year Um, is the move to the cloud, uh, which has been greatly accelerated. I mean, obviously most organizations had started on that process, uh, but now there's just no going back. I mean, for most organizations, um, the cloud is going to be a significant reality of their existence. Uh, I was looking at some research the other day from IDC that said they anticipate 52% of all workloads are going to be cloud-based by, I think, the end of 2021 and that certainly aligns with a lot of what we're seeing with our customers. Um, So, this is a big change in terms of security models. Uh, A lot of organizations are relying on the security from the cloud platform vendors, much of which is very good. I mean, for example, organizations like Amazon have been really deep in this and really focused on this for years and have very secure environments. But many organizations, you know, where they're looking at doing sort of a lift and shift from an on-premises or virtualized private environment to the public cloud, they're used to working with certain sets of tools. They're used to uh, certain patterns of behavior that they look for from their users. um, And they want to make sure that as they move to the cloud, they can still get that visibility. So this has been one of the big changes that we've seen. You know, a lot of organizations, historically well oh, the cloud's not secure i think most people are now past that point but a lot of people are now saying well we don't have the visibility that we'd like you know it's too much of the cloud is a black box whether it's the sas applications that they don't get visibility into to be able to monitor performance within those applications to be able to affect that where it's necessary or whether it's uh, you know other aspects of um security and visibility provided by tools that don't maybe work the way people were used to, that don't provide information the way that they wanted, or whether it's the adoption of things like container technology. I mean, obviously, one of the big benefits of moving to the cloud is to get the benefits of the agility the scalability that go with the cloud. And so much of that is down to containerized architectures. And one of the big problems uh, over the last few years has been that many of the containers didn't offer up the level of visibility organizations wanted. Um, So that's one of the big focuses that we've been looking at over the last year is getting visibility into containerized architectures, particularly Kubernetes-based architectures, and making that available. So as we turn from 2020 to 2021, that's one of the big sort of enhancements that we'll have within our product is the ability to gain full visi- the too many abilities there is is the fact we can get the visibility into those containers uh, that many organizations need in order to control them within their environments
0: yeah because the, yeah. the the host i mean as we've covered especially this year the host layer kind of it goes away when we start talking about containers they're so ephemeral uh-huh. now that yep. and in logging, the, we could have a whole other segment on the, the issues with logging, especially as it relates to containers and cloud native services. And many of us engineers, especially that are studying these new architectures, like I I, just, I, I, pa- I, I want the network traffic, whether that's netflow or full path. I want the network because I don't know what's going to be deployed on it, but I need that visibility, and that's the best way, yeah. in my opinion, to get that visibility.
1: Yeah, on, I mean, then. there's definitely a mindset there that we've seen um, on-premises for years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no matter how many times we try and talk to people about, you know, we can provide you the metadata, either the, the, the NetFlow levels or using our application metadata intelligence products. You don't need the, the raw packets for everything. We can just mm-hmm. selectively feed you the, the the appropriate metadata. And then if you need to dive into the packets, then they're still there. We can still mm-hmm. uh, get you those. Um, we I think maybe anticipated that would go away a little bit as we move to the cloud, but we still see it. We still see a lot of people saying, hey, the packet is the single source of truth as to what's happening on the network. I need to have access to that. So which that's is one of the things that we do provide.
2: Yeah, and, and you've seen the uh, cloud providers make that packet data available with some of their packet mirroring capabilities. Um, and, and I think that is a lot of pressure from uh, organizations say, no, 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 I still need that packet data. cloud mm-hmm. cloud CloudWatch is not enough. Nope. I want the packet. And, and you're seeing that adoption, which I think is good, because that gives you that visibility layer that wasn't really there
1: before. Yeah, absolutely right. It would be great if all those guys co- could come together and come up with some kind of standard for doing that. Mm-hmm. But um, in in the absence of that, you know,
0: Gigamon's a great solution. Adrian's uh, closing thoughts, questions. Ooh, Adrian, I think you're on mute. You there, Adrian? I still can't hear you. Are you on? How did you how did get muted? You can't, your camera looks great, by the way. You look great. It's <laughs> smiling. Thumbs up. <laughs> we just can't hear you. I don't know what happened. Oh, wait. I heard a little. You there, Adrian? It
3: popped up and, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Skype popped up and said there was something wrong with my microphone, so I had to unplug it and plug it back in, I guess. Oh, there you go. Reboot. Had some in- interesting uh, quirks today. Uh, but yeah, you know, talking about containers and the ephemeral nature of them, uh, you know, that was something that uh, I-, I covered cloud security back when I was at 451 Research. and um, And that was a common question that I asked is, you know, what happens to this dashboard that you're showing me? when I create and destroy 5,000 endpoints a day or something like that, or Mm. 500 endpoints a day, like, does it become a a, a total hot mess, you know, and unusable unreadable? like that? That's something that, um, you know, talking about visibility here, you know, the, the way that the security team, uh, you know, ingest this information is often through something provided by the vendor, you know, so that's, uh, as we get these new technologies, you know, containers just, you know, the ability to create and destroy and even VMs before that, you know, we were doing, uh, you know, this uh, create and destroy cycle uh, uh, somewhat, you know, not as much as we were with containers, but it's a rethink to uh, UX and workflow as well. And and how these products interfaces are designed and how we do reporting and alerting and all that.
1: Yeah, it really is. Um, And, It's something that we're thinking very hard about for a a product that we're going to be coming up with later on this year that really deals with this. So as you move into these not just high volume, but very high velocity environments where all these, as you say, ephemeral objects are being created and zapped in seconds, milliseconds, whatever, how do you actually monitor that you can't look at everything so what are the patterns you're looking for what are the behaviors that you're looking for how do they need to be identified to people where does ai fit into this because obviously you've got way more information than a human being is going to be able to deal with even with the best possible uh, visibility and um, exception handling so where does ai fit into that and that's going to be a critical part of this so i think Uh, The next year is going to be really exciting in terms of not just what we do, but how organizations adapt typical network and
0: cloud ops functions to working in these environments. Outstanding. Martin, thank you so much for appearing on Enterprise Security Weekly today. Paul, you're very welcome. Thanks very much indeed. Matt, nice to see you and um, hope I can do this again sometime. Thank you. And folks that want to learn more about Gigamon can visit securityweekly.com forward slash Gigamon. Coming up next, a pre-recorded segment with Emily Wynn and Mandy McKenzie of Mimecast. Stay tuned.